We are so blessed to have Tim as, as one of our deacons who, who comes in and fills in when, when Brother Joe is out. Can we give him a, a round of applause? He's done awesome today. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you do. Would you open them up to Colossians chapter 3? Uh, as I said a minute ago, my name is Josh Heisler. I have the privilege of getting to serve as the Alberta campus pastor. Um, I grew up in a church up in Tacoma, Washington. It was a fairly large church. It had pews. And our pastor at the time, a, a man by the name of Fulton Buntain, uh, used to say on occasion, hey, I need you to sit down and buckle your pew belts. Okay, today's going to be one of those days. So if you would, would you go ahead and open up Colossians chapter 3. We are in our ninth week in the book of Colossians in our, our verse by verse walk through of this book, um, which we've and, and we've entitled the series. It's all about Jesus. As we've been studying this book, we're seeing that following Christ, that, that it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter 3. We looked at verses 1 through 4. You guys here with Pastor Tim, us out in Alberta with, with me. Um, and and we, we looked through those verses together and we talked about living for the eternal. If, if you missed that sermon or really any of the sermons in this series, let me encourage you to go to our website at tothepoint.church slash sermons. All of that all of those sermons are, are there on the website along with the handouts and the guides. I encourage you to take a look at that, listen to those. They will bless you. Uh, but as we looked at the beginning of chapter 3 last week, we saw Paul outline three habits that enable us to live for the eternal. We saw Paul pressing us to seek the things that are above, to set our minds on the things that are above, and to surrender our lives to Christ. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're called to live for the eternal. But as we are doing that, while we, as we live for the eternal, we, we continue to live here on earth. We live for the eternal, but we live in the world. And, and I don't know about you, but living in the world seems like it's getting harder and harder every single day. Um, you see, every time I turn around, I feel like I'm being inundated with temptations to just live in a fallen world. Whether I'm watching TV or, or putting on, uh, putting my, pulling my phone out of my pocket and looking at something on my phone or, or even listening to the radio these, these days, the world around us is constantly wooing us. It's constantly pressing us to leave the things up in heaven, the things that are above, to just leave them up there and to live for the world down here, to live for ourselves. But when we become Christians, when we surrender our lives to Christ, we're called to leave all that behind, to put it behind us and live for Christ. And as we continue in our text today, as we continue in chapter 3, we're going to see Paul kind of outline that aspect. In, in fact, over the next couple of weeks as we're studying through the, the rest of chapter 3, uh, we'll be working with this idea that as Christians, there really is a time where it's good and right to say, out with the old, in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new. And, and I, don't, I, I know probably some of you are thinking that like a couple of weeks ago, didn't Pastor Tim say that we should be saying out with the new and in with the old? Yeah, he did, right? And that's okay because he was talking about something else. He's talking about these new ideas of new spirituality and, and we need to put that aside and return to the Bible, return to the text. But today what we're talking about is out with the old self. Out with the old self before we were Christians and in with the new that is being created in the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. 
let me show you what I'm talking about, okay? So let's, let's take a look at the text. Colossians chapter 3, we are going to look at verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. And do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God. As we open up your text today, as we look at this word that was inspired by your Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, this letter to the Colossian church that's also a letter to us, would you speak a fresh word to us? Would you show us what it means to put to death old lifestyles as we go to follow you? Would you show us what it means to put away habits and attitudes that get in the way of following you? Would you remind us what it means to be a follower of Jesus? What it means to be a Christian? Empower and embolden us to to walk out of here ready for the mission that you set us down here for. God, we are just your servants. We're just your followers. This isn't about you. It's all, or this isn't about us. It's all about you. Would you remind us of that as we look at your text today? We love you, Lord. It's in your beautiful name I pray, amen. As we've been working through this this book of the Bible together, I hope that you've started to pick up on some of Paul's recurring themes as as he writes this letter to the Colossian church. You may remember that that Paul started with the supremacy and deity of Christ. He he wrote in, in chapter one that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Then in chapter 2, and and really last week at the beginning of chapter 3, we also saw Paul outline our participation with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection when he wrote that you have been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. These themes are important to remember as we work through the whole book of Colossians, but they're going to be especially important for us over the next couple of weeks as we work through this part of the letter. And as we look at this portion of the text, as as we see these themes return, I also want you to see that right here in this text, there are going to be these three reminders that Paul is giving the Colossian Christians and us for how we're going to live while walking in the world, but walking with Christ. Okay? I want to show you what I'm talking about. So let's, let's start right away. Verse 5 through 7, Paul wrote, put to death what is therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. As Christians today, we need to remember, this is our first reminder, we need to remember to put to death the old lifestyle. Let me show you what I mean. Um, That Greek word translated put to death in our English translations is the word necro. It it literally means to, to make dead, to mortify. 
The word, um, the word is a verb. It's an active word. And it's immediately followed by the word, therefore. How many of you guys remember back to like when you were in elementary school, when you were first starting to learn things? Our, I don't know if they still do this. I hope they do because it helped me. But our teachers would give us these silly little sayings that would help us remember things we needed to know. Like, like, so if I was in spelling, it might be I before E except after C or when it says A as in, oh, come on, guys. Or when it says A as in neighbor or way, right? So, so we would hear that. It would help us remember that I got to go I before E. It doesn't make sense, but whatever. In music, now, I am not musically gifted. That's just not where God has blessed me. But I took some, some music. I, I started learning to play the trumpet. I didn't finish. But in music, when I was learning to read music, I was, I was taught that every good boy deserves fudge, right? Which is the letters on a treble clef, on the line of a treble clef. Did I get, did I get that right? Letters, notes. Notes, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, in science, my teacher taught me that my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas, reminding me that the order of the planets is Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And I don't care what all the new scientists are saying about Pluto. Walt Disney said it's a planet, so it's a planet. Okay? Can we just agree on that and, and move forward? Well, I've got another one for you. I know Pastor Tim covered it a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Whenever we encounter the word therefore in our Bibles, as we're reading our Bibles, we need to ask the really cheesy question. What's the therefore, therefore? What's the therefore, therefore? It's there for a reason. It's pointing us back to the text that came before. It's pointing us back, back to what we had just read. So it's pointing us back to last week. And it's saying that what we're going to read, what's following, comes out of. It's in consequence of. It's a result of what came before. So, so with that in mind, what we're seeing right here, what we're being reminded of is that as Christians... As we seek the things that are above, as we set our minds on the things that are above, as we surrender our lives to Christ, as we're living for the eternal, at the same time that we're doing that, we're going to put to death. We're going to, as the scholar F.F. Bruce put it, we're going to reckon as dead what is earthly in you. This earthly nature that, that Paul writes here, it could be a potentially confusing or misleading phrase, and I don't want that to, to confuse you. Paul is not advocating for some sort of Buddhist abstraction from ordinary human life, uh, but rather he's telling us to abandon a way of life that is earthly instead of heavenly, okay? And, and again, we need to see this command in light of the verses that came before it that we looked at last week in, in light of verses 1 through 4. So we're going to put these old lifestyle behaviors to death. And Paul doesn't leave us wondering what he means by that. He gives us a list. As another just quick Bible study tip. Whenever you're studying your Bible, when you encounter a list in your Bible, you ought to pay attention to that. That, that ought to grab your attention. And this list here today certainly should grab your attention. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. This list moves from the obvious, from the overt to the less obvious, to the, to the more secret lifestyle behaviors. That word sexual immorality is, is in the Greek, it's pornea. It, it literally translated to English as prostitution or fornication or unchastity. Really, it's referring to any type of sexual sin. 
Impurity highlights contamination, the contamination of our character that's caused by immoral behavior. Passion, that's, that's pathos in the Greek. It refers to a lustful desire. Evil desires is the state which logically leads to passion or lust. And covetousness is unchecked hunger for pleasure. Seeking what you don't have because you think that it will somehow make you whole. It will make you happy. It will please you. And, and what Paul is saying is, is that covetousness is idolatry. You can't miss that. Sexual immorality. Impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul goes from the plainly overt to the more covert, from the specific to the general. And there are two things that I want you to note as we see this list here in our text. First, it's not all-inclusive. Paul is not telling us that these and only these lifestyle behaviors are to be put to death. No, what what he's doing is he's highlighting a few in order to highlight the bigger trend. He's pointing out that the way of life that these Christians, and we, we cannot forget this, and us, that these Christians and us were once walked in before they met Christ. And what he's saying is that that's not compatible with who you are now as a follower of Jesus. And the second thing I want you to note as you read this list is that you're probably being way too quick to say, hey, that's not me. You're being way too easy on yourself as you look at that list. I mean, think about it. Let's just consider one of these items on the list. Let's talk about sexual immorality, right? You can look at that and you can say, that's not me. I've been married for like... I'll use myself as an example. I've been married almost 18 years and I have never cheated on my wife, okay? So I could look at that and I could say, that's not me. Or maybe you, you're a wife and you say, I, I've never cheated on my husband. That's not me. But we need to remember the standard to which we're held because in Matthew chapter five, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if I can just be plainly open with you, if, if I can be painfully honest and transparent with you in my almost 18 years of marriage, I haven't always had that one nailed down. I haven't been up to the standard that Jesus set for me in there. So what do I do? I put it to death. I reckon it as dead. We put these old lifestyles to death. And if you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're hearing this list, you're hearing these items that Paul has, has listed out before you and you're saying, hey, you know, that's, that's kind of spurring some things on my radar. I'm seeing some blips on my radar where maybe I haven't put those to death. Let me tell you, put them to death. Put them to death. We put these old lifestyles to death, not just because they're harmful to the relationships in our lives, which they are, and not just because of the destruction that they bring into our families and our church, which they do, but because they lead to our ultimate damnation. In verse 6, Paul writes, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in 2019, that's something we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about a wrathful God. But just because we don't like to talk about it doesn't mean that we should just gloss over it. 
Yes, yes, God is loving and he does. He passionately does love us. But love and wrath are not mutually exclusive character traits. In fact, I believe they go hand in hand. I really began to understand this about 15 and a half years ago when I first became a parent. Because 15 and a half years ago, I, I probably would have told you that I don't think I could ever harm another human being. But on March 17, 2004, when I held Katie in my arms for the first time, I knew that something had changed there because I loved that little girl. And I knew that apart from a divine act of the Holy Spirit, if somebody ever tried to harm her, they would face my unrestrained wrath. Parents, you love your kids, right? You love them. And you want what's best for your kids, right? You do. Well, I got news for you. God loves you and he wants what's best for you. And he knows far better than we ever will that sin against him is not what's best. Wrath is is not the opposite of love, but the outflow of love that has been violated. God is love. Yes, amen, he is. But that's not all he is. He is so much more. And wrath as an aspect of God's character is not a bad thing. It flows out of his love and justice and holiness. Because as as the theologian Wayne Grudem once put it, if God loves all that is right and good and all that conforms to his moral character, then it should not be surprising that he would hate everything that is opposed to his moral character. God's wrath directed against sin is therefore closely related to his holiness and justice. God's wrath means that he intensely hates all sin. And Paul is saying to the church in Colossae and to us that the wrath of God is coming to those who live in these old, earthly, flesh-driven lifestyles. And you need to recognize that this is not some sort of an angry or malicious statement in chapter or in verse six. That's a loving warning. It's a warning designed to encourage God's people to engage seriously and passionately in the process of divesting themselves of the attitudes and lifestyle characteristics of this world as they seek to live for the eternal, as they seek to live for Christ. And as we continue into verse 7, I want you to recognize that apart from the grace of God, you are completely due the wrath that we've been talking about here. That's what you've got coming to you, except for Jesus. Paul continues in verse 7, he says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. We need to hear that. I need to hear that. I need to remember that. You, you, you really do need to remember that because apart from Jesus, you and I stand condemned. We have got nothing else to plead. We've got no other plea that we could submit before the throne because we're guilty. But because of Jesus, Because of him, because of what he's done for us, our guilt is removed. God's wrath has been appeased. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And if we ever lose track of that fact, 
If we ever start thinking that we are somehow going to be able to plead anything other than guilty, if we lose the fact that Jesus paid the price for our sins, then we've lost track of the gospel. We've taken Jesus off the throne as Lord of our lives, and we've put ourselves right back up there. That's not where we belong. We need to remember that our lives changed when we surrendered to Christ as Lord. We too once walked in these old lifestyles, but now, now we walk in Christ. So we put to death the old lifestyles. But I want you to see the next reminder Paul gives us here in the text. Take a look at verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. And then also in the first half of verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. Now we're going to come back to the rest of verse 9 in a minute, but I want you to see the second reminder that Paul is giving us is that we need to put away old attitudes. Put away old attitudes. Paul writes, but now. And that is classic Paul. That Paul is saying in just those two words, he, he's saying, hey, this is who you used to be but it's not who you are, but now you must put them all away. The Greek for for that word there, put them all away, is apotithemi. It literally means put off. It's most often used in reference to clothing that's, that's been taken off and discarded, that's worn out, it's no good, so it's thrown away. Have any of you, uh, any of you ever lost weight? I'm, I'm not talking like three or four pounds. I'm talking like, like 20 or more pounds. Anybody ever lost 20 or more pounds? Yeah? I have a couple of times. Um, and, and, and that's because um, I'm, I'm kind of what you might call a, a husky guy, right? What I mean by that is I like food and food likes me, right? Well, this, this last year I was out on deployment on the ship uh, and there's nothing to do on the ship except fly Uh, eat not great food and go work out. So while I was out there, I lost almost 30 pounds. And when I came home, I had to go buy new clothes because I'd lost almost four inches on my waistline, which was awesome. But here's the thing. Uh, Even when I bought these new clothes, I really struggled to discard, to throw away my old kind of fat clothes, you know, Um, partly because I'm cheap. Uh, I don't like spending money. and, And I was kind of afraid, hey, those might fit again someday. So maybe I should hold on to these. But, but in discarding those clothes, when I actually did it, it kind of, I, I had this profound reflection. I realized that, that as I was throwing those clothes away, I was saying, hey, that's not who I am anymore. This, this is who I am. This is who I am now. And so getting rid of the old clothes, because I'm cheap, mostly, I mean, I'm not going to lie with you guys, that serves as kind of a motivation for me to stay in shape, to stay healthy. And in a bigger sense, that's what needs to happen with us as Christians. You see, a change has occurred, and we must discard our old habits, our old attitudes, like a set of worn-out clothing. So Paul outlines this list, uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And what he's saying is that these things are like worn-out clothes, like a pair of jeans that's two, two sizes too big. They're useless to you now. They're they're not who you are anymore. You you don't need them anymore. Get rid of them. Don't cling to them just in case. Put them away. And, And just like that last list that we saw in the text, 
it's important to remember that this isn't an all-inclusive list either. Paul is just using these five attitudes to highlight types of attitudes that Christians ought to throw in the trash. He's highlighting attitudes that are antithetical to the life as a Christian and are destructive and dangerous to the Christian community and unity. Anger. Anger is the continuous state of burning or seething hatred. Wrath is what happens when that anger breaks out in actual angry deeds or words. Malice is the deliberate intention to cause harm to someone, while slander is speech that puts malice into practical effect. And obscene talk is, is any kind of talk which, because of its unchristlike character, causes harm to both the one speaking and the one hearing. And as we see these attitudes listed out, we recognize that it's not just the outward expression of anger or our physical actions revealing of our wrath or our malice or words that come out of our mouths that must be put away. It's what's at the heart of it. It's our heart that has to be changed. We're commanded to confront and conquer the inner impulse. We're commanded to put away, to throw in the trash, to discard the inner attitudes that lie at the heart of these expressed behaviors because they're not part of what it means to be a Christian. And they're absolutely destructive to our unity and our community as Christians. So we treat them like those fat genes and we just throw them away. We get rid of them. You see, in addition to the fact that these attitudes are completely antithetical to our new lives as in Christ, they also undermine our ability to foster and maintain unity within the church as we seek to follow Christ together. Together. So we put them all away. We're done with those. Now that we serve Christ, they're gone. And Paul continues in, in verse 9 writing, Do not lie to one another. And I want to ask the same question I asked you last time I was with you. Who is Paul writing to here? He's writing to Christians. Paul is writing to Christians and he's saying, stop lying to each other. Isn't that a little shocking? Isn't that a little kind of scandalous? Paul is telling Christians to put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. And then he's telling them, stop lying to each other. Why? Because as I just said, these attitudes and actions make it impossible for Christian community to thrive. But here's what I want you to think about. I've got a couple of questions for you to consider because while the Point Church is a pretty unified church, both here in Perdido and in Alberta, and I'm not saying that to brag on us or to make us kind of swell up, look at us, we're so awesome. No, like I've been in a lot of churches Part of being in the Navy is you get to move every three years. And so we've been members of churches all over this country, and I have never been, in a, a par, been a part of a church that is as unified as the Point Church here is. But as we think about that, as we think about what the Scripture here is laying before us, I've got two questions that I want you to really consider. How are we lying to one another? And how does it inhibit our ability to follow Christ? Are we trying to build a Christian persona that, that makes it look like we've got everything together? I am just blessed and highly favored all the time. Nothing ever goes wrong. 
Are, are we telling our brothers and sisters in Christ that we're fine? Say, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm great. When in, when in reality, we are hurting and broken deep inside. Are you keeping your doubts about your faith to yourself? Hey, I, I, I'm hearing everything that's written here, and I, I get it, but man, I'm really struggling with this. And instead of saying something like that, you're just keeping it to yourself. You see, I think we lie to each other all the time and in ways that we just don't even realize. And when we do that, it makes it so much harder for us to follow Christ because we were never meant to follow him by ourselves. This isn't a solo sport. I mean, what if we were just completely honest with one another? What if, what if we were just completely open and, and we said, I don't have it all together here. I need help. What if we said that to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? What if we were honest and we, we actually shared our hurts? What if we were honest with each other as we're, we're discussing in community and we actually said like the father of the boy in Matthew chapter 9 said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. What if we did that? And I'm so, I, I get fired up about this because scripture is clear on this subject, right? Galatians chapter 2 verse, or chapter 6 verse 2 says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us to encourage one another and build one another up. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 instructs us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And Romans 15.1 says that we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength. And I don't think that we can do any of that if we're lying to one another. So we have to be honest. We have to be open. We are stronger together. We grow closer to Christ when we are open and upfront with each other. So, as Paul says in our text today, stop lying to one another. Be honest. Be open. Share. Grow together. And the reason, the reason we don't want to lie to one another the reason we put to death the old lifestyle and the reason we put away old attitudes is, is right here in the rest of our text. In fact, it's, it's our third reminder that Paul's giving us. Starting in the second half of verse 9, Paul says, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. You see what Paul is saying to the Colossians is, remember, you're a Christian. Remember, you're a Christian. When you surrendered your life to Christ, when you repented of your sin and submitted to him as Lord, when you were buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life, raised with him in his resurrection, you put off the old self with its practices and you have put on the new self. 
And I love, I'm, I'm kind of a nerd when, when it comes to studying the text of the Bible. And I love the word that Paul uses here for put off. It's apekdiome. In the Greek, it's only used twice in your entire Bible. It's only used twice, right here and back in chapter 2, verse 15. And there, when he uses it, it it's translated to English a little bit different, but the, the meaning is the same. Take off to strip off, to disarm. And that's how it's used in chapter 2. Paul says that he, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Do do you see the connection that Paul is making with his word choice here? He, He says, when you put off the old self, you're disarming the old self with its practices. They don't have power over you anymore because you've been raised with Christ. You need to remember that. You're a Christian now. But more than that, you've exchanged the old for the new. You see, nowhere in Scripture do we see the old self and the new self living together coexisting together at the same time. One completely replaces the other. These terms put off and put on are both past tense. The old self and the new self, they're never together. And as you put on the new self, that new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And the picture that's painted there for us is powerful. It's powerful. This knowledge that Paul references here is knowledge of God. An understanding of who he is in terms of Christ and what that means for us as his disciples living in the world today. We lost this knowledge of him in the fall. We lost it when Adam sinned and we inherited the sin nature. But Christ, because of what he did for us, He makes it possible to know God again. You see, even though Paul doesn't specifically reference Genesis 1 verse 27, it's hard to miss the allusion to it. Paul says that we are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And that seems to be pointing us back to Genesis, where the Bible says that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And just as the old man is what we once were in Adam, just as you were once the embodiment of broken, sinful humanity, so now the new man is what we are in Christ. Christ is the new man whom the Colossians and we have now put on. He's the second Adam. He's the head of the church and of all this new creation. And because of that, We are empowered and enabled. We are mobilized and motivated to live a new kind of life. Which is why Paul is reminding us of this. It's why he's saying, remember, you're a Christian now. That's who you are. And the outflow of this, the outflow of remembering who you are as a Christian is unity. Paul says here, Here in in the new realm of humanity where men and women are reconciled to God in Christ, our new Adam, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. 
when we remember that we're Christians, we find a new unity because in Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are all brothers and sisters. And what that means is that the the racial and socioeconomic barriers that used to divide us in Christ, they're gone. That means that I have more in common with my African-American or my Asian or my Hispanic brother and sister in Christ than I do with someone who doesn't believe and looks just like me. And that means that, that my identity as an American in Christ is gone. Because I have more in common with a Christian in Iraq or Iran than I do with an atheist in Pensacola. We need to understand that. You see, in Christ, there is no inferiority of one race to another or one class to another or one nationality to another. Although we have completely diverse origins, we have a gospel that breaks down barriers that we gather together in unity in Christ through a common allegiance to him as our Lord. Listen, I I know, I know, it's 2019. Next year, I mean, right now even, the presidential election's going. 2016 was a bloodbath. It was a mess. Next year's gonna be worse. That's just where we are. That's not what's most important. It's not what's most important. We need to understand that, that first and foremost, we are followers of Jesus. We follow Christ. He is everything that matters. Why? Because Christ is all and in all. For us as Christians, Christ is everything. Absolutely everything. He's everything that matters. Race, it doesn't matter. Politics, it doesn't matter. Nationality, it doesn't matter. Christ matters. He's everything. He unites us where the world tries to divide us. He is our all and he's in all. It's like that song we used to sing when I was a kid growing up. I'm not going to sing it to you because I don't, I don't have that voice, but hear these words. He is our strength when we are weak. He's the treasure that we seek. He is our all in all. He, we seek him as a precious jewel. To give him up, we'd be a fool. He's our all in all. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again. I'm going to bless his name. He's my all in all. And when I fall down, he's going to pick me up. When I am dry, he fills my cup. He is my all in all. Jesus, the lamb of God, is worthy. He's worthy. He's everything to us. We need to remember that. We need to remember that we're Christians. We live as we're living in this crazy world that's trying to lure us away from Jesus. It's trying to lure us away from the things that are eternal. We need to remember who we are and whose we are. We're Christians. And that should mean something. That that should mean something to us. And it should mean something to the world out there. We should stand out in the crowd. And we should stand out not because of what we're against. We should stand out for what we're for. What are we for, church? 
We're for Jesus because Christ is all and in all. Six years ago, um, right here, like, actually probably right here, was my ordination service right here in this church. And on that day, Pastor Tim, um, during that service, he, he, he had some words for us. He reminded me of a couple things. He said, Josh, I need you to remember this as you're going forward out of here today. First, remember, you're a Heisler. Your name means something. Remember, you're a Christian, and that should mean something too. You represent Christ. So as you go about your life day in and day out, live that out. That's a powerful reminder. It's, it's Pastor Appreciation Month, and I'm going to say real quick, don't worry about appreciating me. I've been doing this for like three months now. But I am so, just me personally, I am so incredibly grateful for Brother Tim, for Brother John and Joe, the men that they are, how they lead us, how they help shepherd us to follow Jesus together. And I am so incredibly thankful that we have a pastor who encourages us to remember who we are, to remember that we're Christians, that we're followers of Jesus. We need to remember that, church. We need to have that at the front of our minds. This text gives us three reminders of how to live as disciples as followers of Jesus, to live for the eternal while living in the world. I, I hope that each of these reminders is an encouragement to you. We put to death the old lifestyle. We put away old attitudes. And we remember, you're a Christian. You're a Christian. Let's pray. Let's pray.